All right, we're in Colossians, uh, just chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 3. If you want to find your Bibles, we'll also have it on the screen. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. For this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is being uh, is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned from it, uh, from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Lord, we just ask that you uh, cultivate each of our hearts this morning as we uh, just hear from your word, as we learn from you. We know that your word is alive and active. It's sharper than any uh, sword. Uh, It's able to uh, give light and shed light to our life. And so we just, this morning, we ask that you apply it by your Holy Spirit into each of our lives so that we might leave this place a little bit better. We might leave this place a little bit more on mission in your kingdom. Pray in Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week I began a, a series out of Colossians chapter 1 on the subject of hope, which I think this is a very timely topic given the despair that's really evident in the lives of so many people, specifically in our nation and then uh, around the world. It's a good reminder, I believe, in the midst of what seem to be perilous times, to know that our hope is not in money, it is not in a particular job, it's not in position, it's not in pedigree, it's not in a politician, but our hope is in the Lord. Come on, somebody. Even in the midst of terrorism and confusion and tribulation and persecution, we as Christians have a hope that is unshakable. It's constant. And that hope is grounded in the gospel, namely in the work and person of Jesus Christ. And last week we looked here in Colossians chapter 1 at the reality of the hope of the gospel And let me just point out quickly two truths that we looked at last week. One is that the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus is truth. That means that our hope 
as believers is anchored in truth. And that's good news. Our, our, our hope is not anchored in some happenstance. It is anchored in truth. Secondly, I'll remind you that the gospel is universal. And I love this because that means that the gospel is for every living, breathing person right now. That means that it doesn't matter where you came from or where you've been. If you have breath, the gospel is for you. It doesn't matter if you're a man or woman, boy or girl. It doesn't matter if you're uh, red or yellow, black or white. The gospel is for you. And there are few things in this world that are really level playing ground. But the, 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 the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful for that. So last week we celebrated the reality of the hope of the gospel. Today we're going to look at the response to the hope of the gospel. In other words, how should the gospel impact our lives as real followers of Jesus? Are you with me? So in verses 9 to 14, we find Paul's prayer for the Colossians. He's praying for these believers at Colossae. And in this, we see a picture of how the hope of the gospel should influence the lives of Christians. And Paul's prayer for the believers in Colossae is my prayer for real life community church. And in this text, I see that as born-again believers who have the hope of the gospel, that we should, number one, you can write this down, grow in what we know. We should grow in what we know. You know, I mentioned last week that one of Paul's main reasons for writing this letter to the Colossians is to respond to some dangerous teachings that are circulating and threatening the church there in Colossae. And in light of these false teachings, Paul expresses one of his greatest desires for these believers. Look at verse 9. He says, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and an understanding. See, we've got to grow in what we know. So you see, this is what the false teachers were claiming. They were saying to, to these new believers who believed in the gospel that, that we have, okay, you believe in the gospel, fine, but we have another experience for you and it brought much confusion to the church. They claimed to have superior knowledge. And so Paul's priority request for them in prayer is that they would grow in the knowledge of His will and in spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now I want to point something out here. Notice that Paul does not pray that they would fill themselves with knowledge. God is the one who does the filling. That's good news to me. Because that means that gaining an understanding of His will or to grow in spiritual wisdom, to grow in understanding does not depend on my intellect alone or nor does it depend on my experience it comes as I yield myself to Jesus Christ. And as I long to know Him more and I, I long to be obedient to Him, He fills me, He fills you with that knowledge, wisdom, spiritual understanding. Remember the Beatitude, Matthew 5 and verse 6. 
Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And ultimately, by the way, this means to hunger and thirst for Jesus who is our righteousness. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Filled. Catch that. So those who truly hunger and thirst to, to know Jesus and to know and to do the will of God will be filled. So how is it that God fills us with the knowledge of His will? How do you know the will of God? Well, number one, the most obvious answer is the Holy Scriptures. The Bible is the means by which God fills us with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. The great John Calvin writes that God's will is not to be sought anywhere else but in His Word. How many believe that? I had a man uh, visit me uh, when I was at the church in Tucson. And he makes his way up the stairs to my office and sits down across on the other side of my desk. And he says, he just looks frantic. And he says, preacher, he said, I need a word. And I just looked at him. He said, you see at my church, everybody's giving me words and they, they all conflict with each other. I had one lady come up to me and tell me I needed to sell my possessions and go to some foreign country and start some ministry there. I had another man walk up and tell me I needed to do a ministry here and my pastor said this and, and pastor, he just looked frantic. He said, I'm confused. I need a word. I need to know the will of God. Pastor, I need a word. And right there on my desk was the Bible. And I just slid it across to the other side. He wasn't happy about that. He wanted a word, you know. And, and I believe in, 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 in the prophetic word. I believe that the, in words of wisdom and words of knowledge. But I believe that the primary word, the primary way that God speaks to His people is through His written, revealed word. How many believe that? Amen. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. The Bible says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Think of that. Why would we not want to read the Bible all Scripture is, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God, now watch this word, may be complete. In other words, filled up. Equipped for every work. How does God fill us up with, with knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding? It's through the, the wonderful, precious Scriptures. He doesn't just leave it with the knowledge of His will, but He says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, knowledge in and of itself is not enough. What, what's He mean here? See, to have knowledge without spiritual wisdom and understanding is dangerous because knowledge puffs up. We've got to have wisdom and understanding. William Barclay writes this, quote, A man may quite easily be a master of theology, and a failure in living. Have you known people like that? He goes on to say, who is able to write and talk about the eternal truths and yet helpless to apply them to the things which meet him every day. The Christian must know what Christianity means, not in a vacuum, but in the business of living. End quote. What's he mean by this? He, he's saying that, that, that we, we need to know how to apply what we know. We, we need to be able to savor that knowledge and use it and utilize it. Otherwise, it's just knowledge and it's not good for anything practical. It's not good for anything at all. We're not called just to be smart. Our aim is not to just be knowledgeable. Knowledge is a great thing. 
but we need spiritual wisdom and understanding. The word spiritual here means by the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us this wisdom and understanding. How many are thankful for the Holy Ghost this morning? See, unspiritual people cannot understand spiritual things. You may have somebody who is smart, has a a high IQ, and they can read a story in the Bible. For instance, they can read uh, the story of David and Goliath and tell back the, the, the story to you. They can paraphrase it and tell you the basic facts of the story. But without the Holy Spirit, what they don't know is the significance of that story. I'm grateful that we have the Holy Spirit. That that we have children who are filled with the Holy Spirit. That can talk about the Scriptures and who know the Scriptures. And not just know the facts, but can tell you the significance of those Scriptures in everyday life. So as real followers of Jesus, my prayer is that we would grow in what we know. The second truth I see here is that in response to the hope of the gospel, that we should not only grow in what we know, but we should also grow in what we do. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So the word so there connects it to verse 9. So he says, I want you to grow in knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding And then he says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul's desire is that the knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding would lead to a continued change in lifestyle. Growth in our knowledge of God should always translate to growth in our walk with God. And here Paul addresses two parts of the Christian life. Namely, he addresses our walk with God and our work. Our Christian walk and our Christian work. He says, I I pray for you that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and that you bear fruit in every good work. Warren Worsby points out the importance of this sequence that's used in verses 9 and 10. I love this. He writes, I cannot work for God unless I'm walking with Him. But I cannot walk with Him if I'm ignorant of His will. Do you see the the necessary progression? See, every one of us in this place want to be engaged, I hope, in fruitful ministry. We want to be involved in Christian work. We, We want to accomplish things for the kingdom. Are you with me? But this only comes, this only can happen as we grow in our relationship and our walk with the Lord, which only comes by growing in spiritual wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of His will. One commentator used a great analogy saying that the relationship between the spiritual growth and our Christian work is like the relationship between a tree's fruit and the tree's root. Let me preach for a moment. How many know you cannot have fruit if you don't have root? You cannot have fruit if you do not have root. And so many Christians in the church today, they want what the early church had. They want the fruit. The problem is they don't want to do what the early church did. They don't want the root. We're impatient people. We don't have time in the busyness of life to open our Bibles on a daily basis. 
You go to Acts 2, 42, you can read that tonight. Uh, Pentecost has happened. Many multitudes of people, some 3,000 people have been saved. And the Bible says these great words in Acts 2, 42, I believe it is, and they continued. That, that decision, that belief was not an end for them. But they wanted to move and walk in the things of the Lord. They wanted to grow. And they accomplished some great things. But to do that, the Bible says there in Acts 2.42 that they devoted themselves to the prayer and to the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread. They met together daily. And our church wants to move the, the move of God like the early church experienced it, but we can't even beg people to get here four Sundays a month. Every excuse in the world. We want the fruit, but we don't want the root. You cannot have fruit without root. So what that means is there's no shortcut. There is absolutely no shortcut in this. You and I have to be willing to grow in the knowledge of God. To meditate on the scriptures. Day and night. We've got to be willing to apply those scriptures and walk with the Lord. Because how can we accomplish anything in our work if we're not walking with Him? We've got to walk with the Lord if we want to see fruit. So we've got to grow in what we do. So in response to the hope of the gospel, we've got to grow in what we know, we've got to, which leads us to growing in what we do. And then the natural progression, number three, is this. That we have got to grow in who we are. We've got to grow in who we are. Look at verse 11. I love this. Paul says, be strengthened with all power. That doesn't mean hit the gym, even though that's not a bad thing. He says, according to His glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let that sink in a moment. See, the Christian life is not just about doing, is it? The Christian life is ultimately about being. And a growth in Christian wisdom and understanding that moves to a growth in the Christian lifestyle will surely lead us every time to a growth in Christian character. In fact, Paul mentions three Christian attributes here, namely endurance, patience, and joy. How are we doing in those three areas? The words endurance and patience here are, are closely related, but they do have some different implications. Endurance, as used here, some Bibles translated steadfastness. Endurance it means uh, the, the will to keep going. It's the ability to keep on keeping on. Have you ever wanted in your Christian life uh, to, to, to throw in the towel and, and, and just, have you, have you ever been tempted just to give up and say, it's too hard, it's too difficult? Amen. Paul says this, he says to, to these Christians, he said, I'm, I'm praying for you, Colossians, as you go through some stuff in life, that not only will you grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding, and not only will you grow in your walk, but I'm praying that you will uh, grow in your endurance and patience as well. I pray that you will be able to keep 
on keeping on. And, and, and some of you may feel this morning like there's no way you can keep on keeping on. But I want to remind you of the first part of this verse to say it's not up to you. It's not in your own strength. As a matter of fact, if you think you can't do it, you're in a place God can use you and sustain you. It's in those times. It's in those times where you feel at your weakest. When you don't have an ounce of strength and you realize that in your weakness, come on, he's made strong. It's his power. It's his mind. You don't have to read all kinds of self-help books and, and try to figure out how to mentally prepare yourself for this. You just cling to Jesus, baby. Cling to Jesus. He is our strength. That's where we find endurance. Hapomene is the Greek word that's used here for endurance and William Barclay brings this out. He says, it does not mean patience in the sense of simply bowing the head and letting the tide of events flow over one. Don't miss this. He says it means not only the, the ability to bear things, but the ability in bearing them to turn them into glory. It is a conquering patience. It is the ability to deal triumphantly with anything that life can do to us. That's the life of a believer. And so Paul moves from this word endurance and then he uses this word patience. And patience as used here has to do with the attitude as you endure. It's the attitude that we have when we go through trials, when we go through tribulations. Not only do we keep on keeping on, but we're not despondent along the way. Have you ever seen a, a, a saint go through some things and, 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 and they're just smiling somehow along the way? They're whistling as, as they tell you about their, their, their story. They're singing a tune about the goodness of God in the midst of trials and tribulation. Friends, that's the strength of the Lord. That's who He's called us to be. Amen. That we triumph victoriously in pain and in suffering. And that in the midst of it, we keep singing His praise. In fact, Paul moves to the third virtue here. Now this is radical. Saying that he wishes for the Colossians to be strengthened for endurance and patience. Now watch this. You might underline this in your Bible or highlight it on your phone. I've got to say that now. With joy. With joy. What does this prayer for patience and endurance tell us? It tells us that the Christian life is not easy. If it were, we would not need endurance and patience. Amen. Don't miss this. I, I'm sick of the prosperity gospel. Amen. The Christian life, emphatically, is not a life of comfort. Amen. We are called to die. Jesus said, take your cross, take up your cross. What does that represent? It's a cross. Is it, is it an easy road when you're carrying that cross? No, sir. The Christian life is tough at times. It is full. If you've been a Christian long, you know this. It's full of trials and tribulations. It's a calling to live for the glory of God, not the glory of self. Our life is in Jesus, not in the comforts of this world. I'm tired of it. I'm not mad this morning. I'm <laughs> sorry. I, I prayed, man. I was studying yesterday, and and uh, I just had to talk some, to somebody this week again about who who just kind of about the prosperity gospel. And, and and see, when you when you tell people these things, 
When you tell them that the, the, the whole point of Christianity is God will make you healthy and wealthy and so on and so forth. And it's comfortable. And, and we take the, the meaning of life and life more abundantly to mean that, that, see, God just wants you to be rich and have it all on this earth. doesn't mean there's anything wrong with, with, with having money or, or having health or anything. But that's not our treasure. We're called to a greater treasure. Our treasure is Jesus. He's the abundance that, is, that, 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 that life gives. The Christian life gives. It's Jesus. Acts chapter 14. You test me on this. Acts, Acts chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 19. Paul is about, and the apostles are about to stop by different cities where new converts are residing. And there's one thing that we know. I'm sure he told them many things. But there's one thing that the scripture here records that he told them. And it's not the prosperity gospel. Watch this. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him in the city. Supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day he went in with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to the city and he'd made many disciples, they returned. So here's they're returning to disciple these people to teach them. To Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of disciples. Now here's what he says. Look what he says. Encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now where is that in the second prosperity gospel? I believe that Jesus cares about us. I believe in divine healing. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I believe in the principle that, that, that if we, we, we reap what we sow. But ultimately, this life is not about a life of comfort. And see, American Christians have tried to somehow live the American dream and be Christian. And it's not going to work. Jesus is not an accruement or, or an accessory that we, that we add on to the American dream. We lay down our dreams. We lay down our life because we see Jesus as infinitely more valuable than anything else we've ever had. And we live day by day in Him and for Him. So as Christians, we should grow in spiritual wisdom, which should lead us to grow in our spiritual walk, which in turn gives way to Christian character, especially patience and endurance with joy. As we mature in Christ, we're called by God's power to have this this endurance, this patience, even in the midst of circumstances. And even more, to be immensely joyful along the way. Is this not radical? Listen, if you're sick in here, I want you to know I believe that God can heal you. Amen. Yeah. We, we, we believe in that. We believe in, in, in anointing. I'll, I'll anoint you and pray for you today. Yes. Here's my point. There's something much greater than health and wealth in Jesus. He is the treasure. Not what he can do. He is the treasure. And in the midst of prayer, when you're going through tough situations and tribulations, in the midst of it all, you just keep glorifying Him. See, if all you're looking for is comfort in this life, when when things aren't going well, which is most of the time in in the Christian life, we have a real adversary. You realize this, the devil. And I know that, that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, but it's still a battle. 
and it's still draining. And some of you in here, I, I look at you, and, and, and the reason I'm so aggravated today is because some of you have been told there's something wrong with you because you haven't received yet. And you think because you're going through trials and tribulations that you've done something wrong. Maybe. But the ones of you who I know, no. Here's what my message to you. Your suffering is not senseless. God is working all things together for your good and His glory. So don't you beat yourself up in the midst of what may seem like poverty, marital problems, loneliness, persecution, tribulation, sickness. Don't you doubt yourself. You pray, but in the midst of all of it, you dig down for joy. Because Jesus through it all is the greatest treasure and He will sustain you. He will sustain you. Oh, I feel the Lord. How, Paul? How is it, Paul, that we're in the midst of struggle? We're in the midst of tribulation. When my life is falling apart and I don't feel like I can get out of bed. This was me in Colorado for three years. As the doctors told me I was bipolar. You'll believe that after this message today. You're like, I thought you were healed from that. I would get up every day. Here I am, a pastor. My kids, young, would come upstairs and they'd have to shake me. Daddy, you have to get up. We have to go to school. And I'm trying to pastor a church. Somehow every day, I didn't have the strengthening of myself. I got out of bed and I didn't pull myself up by my bootstraps. But by the grace of God, He picked me up every day. And that's where some of you are right now. Oh, depend on this grace day by day. So how, Paul? How do we do it? How do we go through endurance with, with joy? How do we go through struggle with joy? Look at verse 12. I love it. Woo! Paul ends the section with thanksgiving to God and he brings us back to the gospel. Here's the tie-in to the good news. To the person and work of Jesus. See, if you lose focus of the gospel, you lose it. You'll get distracted. You'll get off course. Keep your eyes, friends, on the gospel. Verse 12. He, he just said, have patience and endurance, which means you're going to suffer. Have patience and endurance. Giving thanks to the Father. Mm. Who has qualified you, hallelujah, to share in the inheritance of the saints in life, in light. He has delivered us. How, how do you have joy in tribulation? Here's how. You just remember, He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. And He's transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And friends, that's greater than health or wealth or anything else that we would want for our comfort on this earth. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When you know this, when you preach this to yourself day by day, how in the world can we not be overflowing with joy? Hallelujah! How is it we go through life, through trials, through tribulations, with the endurance and patience and even joy because of the hope of the gospel? Because what we have in Christ is infinitely better than any worldly Comfort. Just remember today, if you're going through something, you have Jesus and He's more than enough. And His grace is sufficient for you. 
We have joy through the worst of circumstances because of the beauty and the glory of Christ and all the riches that we have in Him. Better than silver, better than gold, we have Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Here's what Paul says. I want one more scripture and I'm done. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. This verse will change your life. It will change your outlook on suffering. Second Corinthians 4.17 Paul writing For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Now that may not mean anything to you if you don't know the Apostle Paul. This is from Paul. Stoned. Beaten. Put in the innermost prison cell. Chained to a guard 24-7 for a season. Shipwreck. Left for dead. And ultimately killed for the gospel. And yet he writes. This light momentary affliction. Cancer, light, momentary, affliction. Poverty, light, momentary, affliction. Paul, what do you mean light, momentary, affliction? Is, did you write this when they threw a stone at you and you were out of your mind? What do you mean light, momentary, affliction? He, he tells us. He calls it light, momentary, affliction. You see the comparison here, the contrast. Is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Our suffering, no matter what, in this life, if you're a Christian, is light and it's momentary in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. Now, if you're going through struggle this morning, that's the best news you could ever hear. Have you ever looked at the, the hardest trials in life as light? Momentary affliction through many dangers, toils, and snares. I've already come. And grace, what is it? It's grace that's brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. That's why I love to sing that song, He Knows My Name, because I, I love that verse. I don't know what tomorrow may bring, I don't know what's in store. And the end of that it says, but I know in whom I believed. Unshakable hope. Unshakable hope. This light, momentary affliction. Closing. Stand to your feet with me. I just want to be honest with you because what our aim is here at this church is to equip you to be real followers of Jesus. And I'm not going to lie to you from this pulpit and tell you that that's going to be an easy life. It's not. To grow the root, it'll cost you something. But the fruit is so worth the root. Amen. Amen. It's so worth it. My prayer for Real Life Community Church is that in response to the word of the gospel, the hope of the gospel, that by God's grace and His power, don't miss that, by His grace and by His power, 
We would grow in spiritual wisdom. How many want to grow in spiritual wisdom and knowledge of His will and understanding? That we would grow then in our spiritual walk. That we would apply what we know to life. And that we would move through life with great endurance and patience. And through it all that we would have joy. Even through the worst of circumstances. May we keep our eyes on the true gospel. Seeing Christ is our supreme treasure and delight.